When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People just are fascinated with the Australian outback and the wildlife and the dangerous animals and so on and so forth. And the thing is, like, we're city girls. You ask me about a goddamn kangaroo. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine. And each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. My fellow Aussie and mate of... Eek, 20-something years, Rose Byrne started out as a dramatic actress, but she's one of the funniest women on screen and, goddammit, getting funnier every year. Rose Byrne. Laura Brown. Welcome to Ladies First. Well, I do want to talk about how long you and I have known each other and where we met because it is key to whatever this is, wherever we find ourselves in 2021. Rose, you were 18 and I was 22. We were on a photographic shoot. I just remember thinking she's a force of nature. And look at you now, huh? Look at you, Hollywood actress. Where were you at? Were you, at, were you doing a fitting? I just had a fitting, yeah. I'm shooting a show for Apple right now, and it's really great. It's set in 1981, so the, the fashion is just fantastic. It's so fun, like the outfits. I'm very excited for my friends to see some of my outfits because they're very chic, very cool. What's the, does the show have a name? It's untitled as of now, but it's about a housewife set in San Diego in 1980 who has sort of a dark, you know, complicated part of her life that she's dealing with and then um, she also discovers aerobics. This is, that's a terrible pitch, like terrible, but, um, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to get that better. I'm going to get better at that. No, when you come around to do press, whenever you're on a round of promo for a project, and I go, how long until they start to say spiders or... or Snakes, kangaroos. Like your Steve Irwin. And I'm like, we don't actually know. We're not zoologists. People just are fascinated with the Australian outback and the wildlife and the dangerous animals and so on and so forth. And the thing is, like, you and I, we're city girls. I know as much about that as I do... About, do you know what I mean? Like, it's as foreign to me as it is to them. Because I grew up in the city. Like, I'm a city mouse. I love living yeah. in cities. One day, are you just going to snap? Yes. <laughs> I am. I'm just going to be fine. I am. I'm going to snap. I'm just going to go, yeah, you like- ask me about goddamn kangaroo. Stephen Colbert, if you fucking try, if you try a Tasmanian devil. Oh, I have Tassie heard- devil. Let's just run through them. I've done them all. I've done them all. My point is... Okay, so I've known you a long time. I, you know, obviously in your younger years, you went off and lived in London. Uh, for how long did you live in London for? I was in London for two years, and then I and then I booked Damages, this TV show for FX, opposite Glenn Close, and I moved to New York. And you were living there, and that's when we reconnected. Remember, we used to go to the East Village. Remember that place? Yes, yes. You were, you know, known as Drama Girl. And anyone knowing you knows that you're not drama lady. You can do drama lady. 
You're funny as shit, and I want to I want to talk to you about the through line of this. And what I what I like to do with the women that I do this with is, like I said, distill them like a fine fragrance, and, and think of something that I admire and love about them and you. And then for you, it's humor, and not only in what you do and the roles you take, but as you are, how you are as a person, how it helps you in in situations, and how it's sort of been a theme through your your young life. And I can say that because you're younger than me. <laughs> yeah, so much younger than you, Abby. Oh, my God. So you sort of sprung on into the culture with damages. But how, when did you sort of see that you were being seen as, as drama lady and you were like, oh, and I know you made a deliberate decision after that, but how was that, was that, was that funny to you that people thought, you know, you were? Well, I was a very Ellen. young, earnest actress. I really wanted to do dramatic stuff. I look back now and wish I'd sort of taken myself less seriously in a sense. One of my agents in Australia said to me, you know, you, we need to get you in something funny because you're funny. And But the funny, the interesting rather thing about comedy is that people who are funny in real life aren't necessarily funny actors and funny actors aren't necessarily funny people. I think being Australian we have, and I would say the same of you, Obi, like you bring such humour to your work, whether it was at Harper's or at InStyle, or, you know, you've, there is a humour and a sense of lightness. And I think your groundedness and sensibility being Australian shines through and is very refreshing. Thank you. I'm going to Venmo you a 50, but Rose is also doing. <laughs> my Venmo's Rose is also down. Doing my Venmo's down. Just send me a check. And this is another thing with Rose. She's, one, a caring and good friend, but you'll ask her stuff about herself and then she, not necessarily, not even evasively, not, not in I go and talk about it, but is interested in you and we'll talk about you. But suck it, Rose. This is about you. But when you, yeah, so when you came, also when you first came to to the, the States, and uh, did you feel excited, overwhelmed, ambitious, or all of these things? Yeah, exciting, very, you know, overwhelming. LA is a very strange place. It takes a long time to get used to it. I was very much at the beginning of a long, long, long road. I was not a confident person by any means or you know I, I I meet young actresses now at my age then like lovely girls Jen Lawrence or Zoe Kravitz the girls when I did X-Men and they have such a assuredness and self-possessedness about them that I admire so much because I didn't have that were you what 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 were you nervous about when you first got on the scene and what were you confident about well I mean I was it, it's such a bigger ball of bigger fishbowl here or ball of wax or whatever what's the metaphor but I always really wanted to travel and I come from a family who traveled a lot and I always knew I would love to try to work in and on an international level you know my you know would look looked up to all the actresses and actors who'd who'd established those sorts of careers before me mm-hmm. and trod those paths and thought and 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 it's now it's a much faster track you know I think yeah. people come out to America. Everything's just faster, no? With social media, with every, yeah. everything's just a much faster click away. And there's so much also more content, so people are looking for more actors. Netflix is a movie a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> but to, to answer your question the long way, it was a long road for me. Like I came out when yeah. I was 18, 19, and then I got damages 10 years later and I lived in England. So I had, lo- I had a long life and things before I started to sort of work on a more regular basis and be able to carve out uh, a career that I was striving for, which takes time, you know. I'm very slow and steady. Speaking of neither of those things, I was in the Uber down here and I was just thinking about what about you being a, a funny actor and I think it was Game to the Greek 
and I was, which is a film with Russell Brand, Jonah Hill, and you played like a British poplet, pop tart. And I was watching the music video, and in this, in the film, you appear in a music video for a song called "Ring Around My Posy," and the posy is exactly what you think it is. Oh, really? But well, me. I thought it was a. Pr- it's a pretty deep metaphor in that song. I don't know. I oh, I thought it was just your ass. Shh, LB, LB, people need to discover that from themselves. Sorry, it was a deep metaphor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But tell me that what that role meant for you and was it a bit like, yeah, okay, I'm funny. It's crazy. Like I'd been slowly auditioning for more comedic things and that was really exciting but hadn't got booked anything. I remember I'd been really trying to get an audition for um, Knocked Up and then right at the last minute it was cast so they weren't seeing right. anybody but... It was Judd and Nick Stoller who brought me in for um, Judd Apatow, who was producing it, and Nick Stoller, the director, who brought me in for Get Him to the Greek. And I, it's really, I credit them for so much because they are willing to see all sorts of people, you know, like you wouldn't watch Damages and it doesn't scream, oh, my God, that girl's funny. So they're, they're, just cool. they're, they're very open-minded with their, and I still see that in Judd's films and in Nick's films, the people they gravitate to, to cast, right. I think is always unexpected. And I, I I would put myself in that category. Absolutely. Look, you're very successful now and, and it's a smoother road, I'm, I'm sure, you know. Um, but how do you do, did you or do you deal with the ambiguity of when you came very young, you, you your whole fate is entwined with getting a role or not. Well, how did you arm yourself and, and toughen yourself up? Damages was a great turning point and then I think that gave me a lot of confidence that I needed perhaps and particularly working with someone like Glenn Close. She's just such a power, you know, she's Glenn mm. Close, dude, you know. So <laughs> every day going to work with this formidable, guy, you know, legend was like a fast track, like, right, okay. And that I think was a huge turning point in trying to getting confidence and also the the show was really well received we also launched the same year as Mad Men it was a long time ago but TV was still it was just starting to become this incredible place it was before Netflix it was just starting to become this real renaissance like I mean, boutique HBO set TV the bar. yeah boutique yeah. TV do you second guess yourself less now that you're more established further on the road or how do you sort of try to drive your little truck the little rose truck <laughs> I mean, of course, intuition always is a big number one, like what your body tells you when you read something, your excitement levels, all those sorts of things, like your intuition is always the huge navigator. But now I have a family and that is a, obviously number one and trying to navigate everything with the family and and now we're all navigating things with the pandemic as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it does change every decision and also what comes your way, what doesn't come your way. And and I think as an actress or an actor, you really go through sort of winters of people being a little bit less interested in you and then maybe they're more interested in you and, like, it comes and goes. And it's so, it seems so arbitrary. Sometimes. It does, yeah. Let's just go to Bridesmaids because we just, it's a public service. <laughs> to go and to be able to do something that flat-out freaking hilarious and give it all that you had in that way of just like how tell me about how great that was and how how that armed you for things afterwards at the time I was such a huge fan of Kristen Wiig like a huge fan of her work on SNL and so I remember auditioning with her and just being quite flawed and trying to like keep up with her you know hoping that so hoping I did a 
good job. <laughs> um, and then when it came out, it was such a, you know, success. I just realized that I hadn't been on a set with entirely other women and actress, actresses but, um, since Bridesmaids, which had been about 10 years. What's a palpable difference when you're with a bunch of ladies? I just had so much fun and there was an energy and an anticipation and a delight to the scenes coming up, big group scenes, whether it was, yeah, in Mrs America when we had a lot of great group scenes with all the feminists uh, in the feminist camp um, or on Bridesmaids when we had those great long comedic set pieces that, you know, were just hysterical. And then you played Gloria Steinem. Tell me about even getting in your head to go, like, for that. Just go. Go to Gloria in your head for me. <laughs> yeah, that was so fun like so nerve-wracking I was like how do I not screw this up how do I not screw this up because there's just so many potential pitfalls to playing this iconic woman you know Kate reached out early Kate Blanchett and Darby Waller and I'd known Kate a little bit because I had worked with Andrew her husband in the theatre and she is extraordinary I mean Kate Blanchett she's like she's 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 pretty all right I mean she's but she's a hustler she's a hustler Kate so that's that's you know it's good so uh, initially I was incredibly nervous I sort of initially I did that thing of like of course oh my goodness this is an incredible project yes 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 and then about two weeks later I was like I don't know if I can do this I, I need to talk to them. I don't know if I can pull this off. This is a bad idea. You know, I had a absolute tried to get out of it moment. To then go through that and have Bobby go, this is just what you do, you have to follow through, and to then think, I, I just want to be a part of this project so badly. It was about the project as a whole, you know. Yeah, in yeah. a way, Gloria was sort of the last point of entry ultimately because it was such a bigger story than just one person. And then if you're just at home now, you know, cooking in the quarantine, you just pull the wig out and, <laughs> and then just I just trot around the house. I put the wig on, I put the glasses on, and I just talk sort of late 70s feminism. And and you go, what do you want for dinner? Like, I don't even know if I could do that. Really, yeah, we just did a, a Q&A the other day with all the girls, so I got to see everybody on, on Zoom. The new Zoom life, isn't Zoom? it? Zoom? Okay. Oh, my God, you can oh. have it. You can have it, LB. <laughs> What has given? What's been a silver lining of, of humor and and such during these trying times for you? What have you like really like laughed about during this actual giant shit show? Um, you know, I've got this these two guys who live with me, um, Rocco and Rafa, who are these these flat mice that I have, and they are hysterical. I mean, they're four, nearly five, and three, and that you know, it's a cliche, but it really does keep you laughing. Yeah, Rocco said to me. Have you got the virus, Mama? Do you have the virus? And I was like, I hope not, buddy. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam.
Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. Now, Rose Byrne is one funny woman, but she's also smart, sincere, and freakishly interested in others, which is unusual. <laughs> Tell me, like, how, how ambitious are you? I am driven, absolutely driven, for sure. You know, it's like a you got to have that drive to keep going in a business mm-hmm. that is up and down, like we've been discussing, chatting about. And I, I think my level of ambition has changed probably as I've gotten older and have had kids and all those things or it tapers off into different ways. But my ambition to do good work has really distilled even more and more and more and more and more. I love working. I'm definitely a workhorse. Like I prefer to work than to not work. But it's also important, obviously, to be discerning and to take a risk and a, and a risk meaning like, oh, I'll just not work for a little while instead of, I've always admired actors who can do that. I, I find that harder. Right. Who are like, I'm good. I'm waiting. I'm going to wait, wait and see what comes up or whatever. And that's not always been my nature. I'm, I guess I, yeah, I, I like to work. So to have just sort of proof that you can do it all the time. Yeah. I, but I've definitely, as I've gotten older and have, have now, you know, my little family, everything shifts and changes but but yeah the 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 drive you have to have in this business and in your business you know is you've got to have that you've got to have a healthy man ambition who what ladies who do you who do you admire i'm trying to think of who i i think the best sort of um Careers always are when there is maintaining some sort of distance and mystery, and that's increasingly hard to do with the pressure yeah. to be on social media and so on and so forth. And and I think people who can navigate that are very, uh, you know, impressive to me. You had mystery for a while. No, you still have mystery. But remember, you didn't go on Instagram forever, oh, forever until Hung Bango basically told me. Tell the story, sister. So Hung Van Gogh is a highly celebrated makeup artist um, and also an enthusiast. <laughs> so, he, well, he was like, you know, I'm addicted to Instagram. I was like, I think I know that Hung. I think I know. But he's brilliant, an artist. But Ben Hung is um, now, you know, a kind of social media force. And he forced me to go on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, tell me exactly what he said to you. He just kind of took my phone away from me. It was like, this is it. We're doing it today. We're doing it today. Today is the time. Come on, you've got to do this. This is it. And then you're like, hello. But I'm so not savvy with it. I, I'm not, it's a little counterintuitive for me. It's not something that comes to me, comes naturally to me. How, how keen are I of, of, of silliness do you, do you have? And how much of it, like, how much of it just kind of goes, oh, like, do you like, because you you you, see, you do find the humor in everything, even in the really you know the the dark thing. How how did you do that? Absolutely, from my family, there's always a sense of making fun of things and finding the humor in something stupid. I think being the youngest of four kids, starting acting young and being probably a clown a little bit, probably to get attention or whatever the birth order <laughs> plays into that. And you have a million nicknames, right? Or you give people nicknames. Give me some of your nicknames. Give me some of your nicknames. There's so many. I'll be, oh, my God, it's so bad. Like, now I'm actually gone the other way. Now I'm like, I used to make up a lot of nicknames for people and now I just, I always check because some people don't like nicknames and I respect that. Especially if you call them assholes. Like, don't love it. What's the best nickname that you have and what's the best nickname you've given someone else? 
Well, I, my best friend I call Eddie and her name is Crew. That doesn't make any sense. It's so it's ridiculous. Um, and then my best nickname, you know, my brother is a nickname fanatic and he'll call me, you know, Carol. Or, you know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, who are these people? Who are you talking about? Like, Do you answer to just any name that comes out of I'll his mouth? I'll answer anything. What do I care? Dickhead? Oh, no. That's too <laughs> far. That's, that's too far. That's off topic. No. Dickhead, what a great word. Is that, someone said that the other day who was American and I was like, wow, okay, that does exist here because you know how it's funny that, cursing and slang and stuff doesn't no i was talking about dickheads with brooke shields the other day about how she's a dickhead and i'm a dickhead and did she it's a compliment it's a compliment, <laughs> it's a compliment. <laughs> hey what are your favorite words oh so i've been reading a lot of octonauts books to the boys and it's all about yeah. underwater sea creatures and there was a beautiful world the other day bioluminescent <gasps> and i just thought that was beautiful i look forward to that page <laughs> But I bet, I bet you the bioluminescent is also moist. Oh, no, 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 no bueno. No bueno. No bueno. What word do you hate? What word do I hate? Um, moist. Panty? Okay, we come to America. We come here. We come here. And panty was said without irony. Yeah. How do you, I, I still, I've, I think I've been here almost 20 years and I've maybe managed to process it. Yeah, yeah. Panty, panty, I struggle. I still struggle, yeah. It's also funny here too, fanny doesn't mean, so fanny to us means your vagine, but to a American means your butt. Yeah, it's out in Australia. It's a, fr- it's a front bottom in Australia and it's a back bottom here. Let's populate the word the word dickhead more into the into the culture. Beautiful. Thank you. Because the Aussies could, the diss in Australia would be is a dickhead. What's a great What's word it? that I would love to be translated is daggy. Yeah. Daggy is dag- such a good word. But yeah, a dag no a dag a daggy person is like I mean we always try we've always had a hard time trying to try like uncool sort of but it's there's so much more to it. There's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. It's, it's, we have a rich patois in Australia. Okay, I want to do something called 10 firsts. Okay, you ready? First drink you order. I've been really getting into cocktails in lockdown. So now I've got a repertoire. I've been making penicillins. I made one on the <laughs> Jimmy Fallon show. That, that's very labour-intensive. So what's in it? What's in a penicillin? It's... um. Fresh lemon juice, fresh ginger juice, and then it's a blended scotch. Yeah, and with a little floater on top. It's delicious. A floater on top and a floater, not a dead body. Sorry. And I've also been making this really nice cocktail I just discovered called the La Sirena. La Sirena? And that's got elderflower liqueur, bitters, um, prosecco, and fresh mint. So what time is cocktail hour, 11 or 11.30 a.m.? <laughs> Yesterday it was. Yesterday we were in the cocktails at 9 a.m. We were like, Yeah, I, I'm really I'm, into the making them myself. I'm just very slow, like I am at everything, but I am quite slow at making them. Bobby gets very tight, bored, waiting. He's like, ah, I'm going to order my drink at 3 o'clock next time, like because it takes a while. 
But, well, if you really need a drink, you don't want to wait. If I'm at a bar, I'll order a penicillin if I can. But if they're not available, then I'll probably just order like a really nice rosé. Yeah. A nice rosé or white wine. At a a restaurant, you will always, whatever, there's always chips, fries. You'll get fish or whatever, but you're always like cider fries. I do cider fries or cider potatoes or a cider bread. I've never had so many people Sad. comment about how much bread I eat. Like, it's hysterical. Really? Yeah, because they don't, they don't do that. I do. Well, it's very Aussie. I think Aussies are really into bread and then actresses yeah. aren't, don't eat bread. So it's like people get their minds are blown. I've had a few actresses say, I can't believe how much bread you eat. Oh. And you have a nice big sandwich and, and they look at you like you're going to explode into chunks. People get really, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah, Bobby can't believe how much bread I eat. He's, I should really start to make it myself, but yeah. Where's your sourdough starter? That's that's my that's what I would order. You know what I order? I'd always have a glass of wine. Okay, first thing you look at, look at on your phone in the morning. I would look at the time, and then I try to I try not to turn on my phone until like I don't know eight o'clock or something, just to give myself a minute to not look at the phone because I am so addicted to it. You know, I'll just go yeah. into the thing, but I'll usually look at always text messages because particularly from Australia so sometimes you'll get a message from mum or dad or sister or somebody so but I've just been trying to leave the phone wake up and just slowly wake up you know not just like get you on the phone. you don't go right to all the red carpet slideshows oh there aren't any uh, yeah <laughs> that's right there's none do you you haven't you have not had to do the weird sauntering on, on a red carpet for ages mixing it up I do. I mean, I, know, I, love, I love fashion. I love dressing up, but there's, I think it's good to have a break though, isn't it? Because there's a certain kind of fatigue with that stuff. So it's nice to reset a little bit. Do you feel that you've got to sort of take yourself and times it by two or anything or like? When, when you're on the red carpet? Yeah. Do you have to be like, okay, I, well, I would actually be happy in like a, a shirt, but I've got to put on a pink number. Yeah, everyone's so different, right? I know Glenn Close is always like, I just want to wear my pajamas. And I get it. Like, I get it. But I do have always loved dressing up and there is a, a creativity to it and particularly when you're working with a stylist and it can be really fun and I try to not take it too seriously and try to just, wear, you know, try and go for it and within reason obviously. But a good thing to do, if you ever feel like you're overdressed, just like go to look at like the Grammys red carpet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you're like, wow, I look totally normal. Look at this guy. He's got like a, you know, a, a, a goose on his head and he's it's naked or whatever. Bird. And you're like, I'm just, and then when somebody shows up on that red carpet in just a classic ball gown, you're like, loser. <laughs> what will you, like, when you can go out again, what do you miss wearing? What would you like to wear? I mean, I'd love to wear some, just like a great sexy cocktail dress. Oh, fantastic. Lips, put, you know, put yourself together, flick your hair, as you say, like, yeah. Get your back out. That was what the shame of when we were supposed to be promoting Mrs. America, right. not being able to do that all together would have been really fun because if there were great groups of oh. women and the same with Bridesmaids, I was so lucky because both times the groups of women were just brilliant, like just brilliant, not a bad apple, just brilliant. Okay, question two, first person you call? In the morning? Yeah. Oh, Bobby, call Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you can't call him now because he's in the house with you all the time. Is it, a, is it a novelty to leave the house? Like, and you get a bit of mystery? Sometimes we just look at one another and we're like, you know what, I need to go for a drive. And the other one's like, do it. Okay. First joke you remember or a go-to joke? My go-to joke. 
Oh my god. Dirty. I am not going to tell you. It is such a dirty joke. Really? Yeah, it's so dirty. It's so and dirty. It, it, it involves a word that they don't say in America that we shouldn't say here. Like, you know what I mean? That only exists when we see each other on a Tuesday? Yeah, exactly. It's just so dirty. Okay, first and last fashion splurge. Oh, first and last. Wait, you mean like? Like the first fashion thing you ever bought that made you feel like, oh, I'm fancy. And and, and the last thing that. I remember buying like this maroon leather little like very early 2000s square Mew Mew purse with like a maroon strap with studs on it, that kind of great thing they do of like the hard with the soft or whatever. So it was Mew Mew, you know, and I was not by any means rolling in cash. So that was definitely a splurge. And then the last splurge I did, I haven't done that much shopping because where am I going? <laughs> but you didn't like have a wine and get a net a porte start crying and buy a, buy a, yeah, buy no, a shoe? That I've done. That I've definitely done. I've been splurging more on like skincare. You know, I've been, like, going crazy. Like, I have splurged a bit. I bought a bunch of, like, Tammy Fender beautiful, like, organic products that I like. And um, But in terms of clothes, I did I did get a Vilshenko dress on, on like, on sale. You've always been good at buying a dress. It's true. <gasps> it's true. It's the talent. All right. First time you owned your shit? Probably, like, in my... Having children and starting a family is a huge thing of owning your own shit for sure. So I would say within the first few months, first year of my first son's life, for sure, confronting like stuff. And I think, you know what, another big point was turning 30. We kind of take an inventory of stuff of, you know what I mean, of what's happened. And I was going through a big breakup and all that stuff. And like, I remember that was a big owning my shit moment. Yep. Okay. First date. Ooh, well, in Australia, you don't really date. You just sort of get drunk and hook up and then you figure out if you're going to see each other again. That's the God's honest truth. I don't think I'd really, I remember a guy did ask me out on a date in Australia once and we didn't work out. We, we, I think it was like an awkward kind of dinner date and I felt incredibly adult. And then I think, yeah, but it didn't go anywhere. Well, he's not in the kitchen right now, is he? So it's the first thing you turn on TV. You know what I love? I loved being back in Australia and watching like the Australian channels. I just find it the most comforting thing in the world is like to put on channel on the ABC or SBS or anything, channel 10, 7, and just watch whatever's on some weird show from Iceland. I just love it. It's soothing. Also, just to go back to the wildlife motif, just for a second, there's always someone on 7, 9, or 10, our big networks, there's always an Aussie host at a wildlife park. true it's true there is or a weird reality show about like there was the one about getting married first love at first sight or something about people getting married before meeting I was just totally into that for a while when I was back in Australia like just these just having Australian characters up there I just couldn't enjoy it more as the one now where they set you up with a kangaroo and you have to get married (laughs) before you even you know had dinner okay first thing you do or eat if you're stressed out Oh, junk food. Just terrible junk food. Are you a good cook? Bobby cooks, right? Yeah, he's better than me. He's good. He's good. He's a really good cook. I'm not good. Terrible. Slow, disinterested. But I love to eat. I can do a bolognese. I can make like a spinach pie or a meatloaf, like Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Just basic, like, 
peasant food. No. Right? Okay. First car you bought? Uh, a Corolla, a yellow Corolla for $1,000 that was on sale in the rocks that I walked past with my dad. And I was like, I think that's the first car I'm going to get. And I bought it. And now you have a Maserati. Now I have a Tesla and a Maserati. No, I don't. <laughs> Of those things. Tesla's are like driving an iPad. Crazy. They're like a spaceship. Okay, last one. You ready? First thing you'll do when this godforsaken pandemic is over. Oh, have a party. Have a party with just everybody. Right? <laughs> Everyone on the street. Finally, have a party. Just would not have to be apart from one another. That would be marvelous. And I'm not a party person, but you really do miss that. You, we are social animals and we need that and it's very hard. It's very hard. Yeah, we're going to be throwing parties, which we don't like to do. Like I go to a party, maybe, but throwing them, no, in full sequence. Yeah, <laughs> I know, me too. I wear my bridesmaid's dress, my full black <laughs> sequence dress, just like bang, just, you know. But, it, you know, obviously we're all doing it for the greater good and that's the most important thing. Um but I know, but it, it, it is it is dragging. I haven't seen you. I know. Jesus. I haven't seen you. I haven't seen any of my friends. It's, a, it's such a long time. So, but look, you know what, Roseburn, you're the best. Thank you, darling. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People: Rachel King, Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99. 